This is Energy Speaks Podcast with your host, Katriel. Hello, divine, beautiful souls. Uh, we have a special guest today, um, one of my best friends, Mitchell. Um, I know I spoke on the last podcast that we would have a different um, guest speaker, but, you know, divine plan shifted a little bit. And um, I'm very, very excited um, to hear the wisdom of Mitchell. How are you doing today, Mitchell? Doing pretty well. Um, happy I'm transitioning jobs, so I'm in that phase right now, which we just talked about before we started the podcast. But yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Looking forward to the future. That's awesome. So um, for our listeners at home, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So I'm, my full name is Mitchell Kennedy Hogan. I was born in Sickleville, New Jersey. I went to the same school from pre-K to eighth grade. I was born and raised Quaker, which is a sect of Protestant Christianity. I eventually went and converted to atheism in high school. I was an atheist for four years, but had a lot of negative karma built up. I went to Eckerd College when I graduated high school. At Eckerd, considering the fact that uh, I went to a big private school, I had significantly less schoolwork. The kids there were a lot nicer than the ones at my high school. Um, it was a warm, sunny climate. I knew instead of wasting my four years partying and just forgetting everything about college, I wanted to make the most of it. I didn't know where to start, so I figured, okay, why don't we leave atheism and find some form of spirituality to continue? And that was the first thing I did to seriously improve my life. And it was just cause and effect, you know, all these major shifts and crazy stories I have that no one would believe if I told them happened in my life. And now I'm a lot healthier. I'm a lot happier. And I'm looking forward to go out in the world. I recently graduated and plan on now developing, cultivating the lifestyle that best suits me and the will of the divine and nature. Even though nature is divine. <laughs> wow, dude. <laughs> like, you in a nutshell. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I figured I'd give a little brief backstory just so like the people know who I am and know what I stand for, you know? Yeah, you know, I've known Mitch, God, probably, was it 2017? We um, met, it was at a Go Poly, right? <laughs> which is really funny because I was guided to right before I came here to go to Gopali and now it makes a whole lot of sense <laughs> I've actually thought about that day too when we first met so remember you had the necklace and I'm like oh it's for this this and this and like I I you was I forget the stone it was a blue stone and you're like oh how did you know that and I was like oh I don't know I could sense that um and everything just went uphill from there and this and you have been such a a important being in my in my existence, you know. Um, you too. <laughs> Mitch has literally been there through it all. When my life started to completely shift, it all started with Orasoma, I feel. And then all yeah. these opportunities came into my life. All these beautiful beings came into my life. I ended up through a divorce. Um uh, like job shifting all of it and 
you were always there. And I'm just so grateful for you, bro. Dude, I actually, speaking of which, I kind of had a what if scenario is like, what if I didn't go into Go Poly that day? Like, just how different my, like, Eckerd experience and spiritual journey probably would have been. Whoa. Like, it's amazing how something as small as that just did such a huge shift for the better. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I really do. I really do. Yeah. Like, I remember your tarot readings have, like, set me straight, you know, for a period of time. Like, well, like this is where you need to go. This is what you got to do. And I was like, all right, cool. We got the plan, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, I, I'm, I'm really honestly just looking forward to when I'm done my current job, <laughs> yeah. which is coming up. But, yeah. So, um, yeah, on that note, um, what what – What's speaking to your soul today to talk about? What is speaking for my soul? I know we were talking about ideas like the mind and psychic abilities. I think, hmm, but at the time, I'm currently not feeling if there's anything in particular there is to talk about more so with just energy speaks. But I guess more so like, how to use energy as a way to benefit you, you know, in life. Mm, I love that. So yeah, I, I've I've started reading this book recently. It's called um, The Book of Five Rings. It is written by, I forget the man's name, but he was an Edo period samurai. And he was writing this book in his 60s. And he's talking about how he essentially first saw combat at the age of 13 and killed like a master at the age of 13. And it's about his life experiences, his knowledge, and how he learned to survive in like really stressful situations. And one thing I'm like, I am no expert on this at all, but I've been recently drawn to the idea of like kind of more Eastern philosophy, whether it be Taoism, for example, be mainly because of this emphasis on peace but having an acknowledgement of the dangers and evils in the world and how to like kind of move through them. Whereas like, as I mentioned earlier, I grew up in a Quaker environment, basically my whole childhood, the Quaker mindset of like dealing with evil is essentially pretend it's not real and therefore it'll go away. Like I remember as like being a child, we couldn't, do stick fights like we couldn't sword fight with sticks because we saw we'd poke our eyes out you know <laughs> when we played the card game war we had to call it peace and I'm, I'm kind of realizing how sheltered of an environment it was and how that really stunted my development and a big part of my own journey was actually coming to terms with the reality i guess of evil violence and aggression in the world but now it's more so kind of shifting to a worldview of instead of submitting to those primal urges, kind of accepting them and moving through to build a better future. And I think you see that more so, and I've, I'm no expert on this whatsoever, in like Taoist thought and certain sects of um, Eastern religions that tend to have homage to nature, not, a, not like Confucianism and so on. But that's kind of where I'm at right now. Interesting. Uh, you know, um, several things going through my mind right now. Um, like, 
you you being in the in the Quaker, um, it, it's a religion, correct? Yes. So, like, how like you ended up in it as a history major, correct? Yes, history major, religious studies minor. Right. Like, so you know, like obviously, history is filled with so much. How did you know you? How did your background with Quaker really allow for the whole history major and 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 what you wanted to do with it? You know what I mean? So history. So I always was kind of fascinated with history. So growing up as a kid, like history and animals were my two kind of biggest interests, particularly more so animals. Like I was a fanatic for sharks. And I still use the idea of the shark as like one of my, I guess, totem or heraldry animals as a symbol of the way and the way of harmony in my life. But that's like another can of worms we can open. But I came in originally as a marine science major at Eckerd College. Oh, wow. But I transitioned. Yeah, I transitioned to history mainly because it played to my strengths. Like, for example, I wasn't really good at math. I'm not really good at making like charts or like computer stuff, but I was very, very, very skilled at writing and I was very, very skilled at researching. And another thing I didn't like was how even in the scientific field, nature was still kind of treated like a resource, if this makes sense. Like, like when you do experiments on animals, they're still viewed as like, Oh, nothing more than animals. And they're somewhat treated, I guess, like material objects. Whereas it's like I kind of saw nature as beings worthy of respect. And I'll admit, I'm a hypocrite. Like I do eat meat, I do eat steak, and I do eat pork. But a big journey through studying history, and this has helped me, is like the balance of like life and death and how the two play into each other. So by majoring history, I studied particularly like Native American history. In particular, I wrote a big essay on the Seminole Wars. In Florida, and I actually pre- pre- uh, presented my research at the um, NCUR. I'm forgetting what the abbreviation actually stands for. Wait, Na- National Convention for Undergraduate Research. Yes, it was there. Wow. And seeing like how human nature on one hand can be very peaceful and prosperous with certain cultures like the Tirana in pre-contact Colombia – or very brutal and cruel as in like the Comanche in Texas. And that spectrum really kind of helped me understand the story of us, but also understanding the nature of life and the nature of existence. And the religious studies minor was, I took a lot of religious studies course was also just the, the mindset of humans. Like what is religion? What do we define as religion or how, we don't even really have a set definition of what a religion is, but it's something that all people do. It is so fascinating. And it, it enabled me to actually help my own spiritual and, I guess, occult practices and seeing, I guess, the different aspects of, I guess, the divine and God throughout all of existence. Whereas, you know, the sciences more so was just like very – now, I want to say logical, but very rigid, very data results. It was very robotic, you know, and relative to a lot of other quote unquote spiritual people, I tend to be more robotic or as the Greeks would call it, Apollonian in that sense. But it's, um, I don't know, the self-discovery, 
discovering how the world, like, the divine works. Some just very crazy esoteric encounters that I've had, completely sober, might I add, has been utter, just so fascinating. And I know you asked about how Quakerism itself kind of influenced that, but it wasn't so much Quakerism in Christianity, but it was a return to the divine. So like I can say with confidence is I was very happy as a Christian, as a Quaker in my life. And atheism, I think, was a big push into my state of misery. But at the same time, atheist ideology did such a good job of pointing out the hypocrisies of Christian of Christianity for me and the fallacies in the Bible that I kind of just couldn't go back. Mm-hmm. However, it was also that I knew I needed some essence of spirit if I was to basically stay alive. Yeah, man, dude, if I, I could write a whole novel on just Eckerd, honestly. Um, In um, going off of the your your journey within your spirituality, lately you've been studying on Gnosticism, right? Yes, and it's kind of pulling me more so towards uh, uh, Hermeticism. Interesting. Which is a form of... Uh, non-christian gnosticism but definitely has a lot of judeo-christian elements and greatly actually influenced science and the church later wow you you have such an interesting journey and one of the other things that we've talked about that i feel like you express really well is like the hero's journey that's been evident throughout our friendship for from the from the get-go and yeah and it's like I, i'm seeing through how you speak like this all illuminate in front of me of your your journey you know and um can you can you tell us a little bit about the hero's journey i feel like um it's a good you know good place to to really go into well, I could talk about my hero's journey so far, how it's happened. So basically, graduating high school, I was essentially depressed. I went through a phase where I was suicidal. I didn't believe in a God. And I was, I wouldn't say all way, but honest to God, borderline almost an incel. Um, but instead of taking the approach of like, it's society's fault, not mine, I knew that there were shifts in me that needed to change. Actually, I'll tell you, I'll tell you about the final shift I had. Like going into college, I was not, I was very naive about um, drugs and the party culture, but I was not naive about people. And in fact, coming to Eckerd, I was very much surprised about just, okay, we just had a little glitch, so I'll repeat myself. But like, I was grumming out of high school, very low self-esteem, pretty depressed i didn't believe in god and if i'm to be honest i almost became i would would have said an incel and not so much in the sense i hated the world but the low self-esteem like oh nobody will accept me but what kept me going there was i believe instead of blaming everyone else i needed to take responsibility for my own actions and i have a very specific story i would like to mention it was um i was with my friends 
that I had known since early childhood. It was the first winter break back from my freshman year of college. We were in my friend's basement watching South Park, eating Domino's. Mm-hmm. I was the only atheist in the group, and we were all stoned. I remember I was about to bite the pizza, and then I just had this epiphany. And it's like, wait a minute. I was in a major that I don't care about. I was not good with the ladies. Um, and I had no idea where I was going with my life. And something really needed to change. But then I also had some other revelations, which was people at Eckerd College, the school I went to, were significantly kinder than all the people I went to high school with. The workload is significantly less than what I had in high school. And the weather's nicer. The people are nicer. This is the perfect period of my life to essentially get my shit together. And, it, and I remember actually looking at my stomach where my, um, I think the money or willpower chakra is and just feeling essentially a black hole there. And I'm like, whoa. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, there is a lot of shifts you need to do. Where do we start? And I really just look back at my life, like, like, fuck everything else. How do you get better? And I remembered, okay, let's keep it simple. I think it was just intuition coming in and said, go back to some belief in spirit. Cause like they said, like it or not, you definitely were happier believing in a God as opposed to being an atheist. And I had, this is my first spiritual mentor. He says he's not my mentor, but I consider him a mentor. And I figured, okay, I'm going to talk to this guy about like starting a new spiritual practice and just seeing where it went. Winter break ended. I visited him and I went up and talked to him like, look, I had this epiphany. I am, I don't know where I'm doing. And I'm like trying to improve like what, what, what should happen basically. And he says, that's cause you're an indigo child. You know what that is? And I'm like, wait, aren't they like kids who can speak to spirits and ghosts? And he's like, eh, not quite. So he shows me more information on that. He was a yogi too, a yogi. Um, I went to his yoga classes. All I did was I meditated um, and I journaled. I got a tower card reading by actually um, Sammy, who changed her name to Aurora. And all I did at first was meditate and journal and then just meditated. Then... At first, once I kind of built a bit of self-respect and self-confidence in life, I systematically had, I guess you could say, um, seemingly malicious forces from my past present themselves in my own consciousness and seemingly having to battle them out as this way of, I guess, conquering my own demons. And I remember... The first major, major one I had to face was actually atheism itself. And I remember when that came up, it was almost as if, you know how you ever meditated and you can feel like through your crown chakra, spirit channeling through you? Yeah. So it felt as if when that came up that it was severed. Like there was literally something blocking it and I couldn't reach. I couldn't meditate. I was stressed out. It was like some force was cutting me off of spirit and i knew i needed to stand and fight and i knew also as scary as it sounds is i couldn't face this using like oh i believe in spirit and all that all the logic all the ideas all that stuff can just be thrown out the window 
I couldn't do that. So it was almost as if I had a man-to-man fight with this energy of atheism, of just death. And like the idea of like dying and that being it was very scary to me. Because even if that's true, that means I can go on the spiritual journey, but at my core, I know it really is nothing. So it basically, if I could say, it felt like it lasted for three days. But then I actually remembered a clip of um, Richard Dawkins, of one of the biggest founders of what we call the New Atheist Movement, talking about the existence of consciousness and how they all found the concept of consciousness to be completely baffling. But then I remembered one of the major arguments of atheism was evidence, 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 evidence. You need like evidence of God, evidence of this, evidence of that, as we have like evidence of like say gravity or evolution. But then it hit me is how does one gather evidence? One would need to be aware of the world so they could be aware of the evidence that they captured. So in order to find evidence, you have to be conscious. You have to have some form of consciousness. If there is something that exists with no evidence, that means you can't consciously perceive it. So, and the atheists would say, like, since there is no evidence of God at all, we there probably is no God. You know what I'm saying? And if you say, oh, just because lack of evidence doesn't mean it's not real, how do you not know that there's a giant purple monkey man who rules a moon right now? I mean, there could be. We have no evidence of it. But like, let's be honest, it's not all that logical. So basically, in order to take the evidence-only approach, you need to have some form of consciousness. And if conscious, that would mean in order to have that form of consciousness, consciousness would need to be a requirement of reality. So in order for something to be real, you have to find evidence that it is real. In order to find that there's evidence that it is real, you need to be conscious so you can track the evidence. Therefore, consciousness must be a requirement of reality. And if consciousness is a requirement of reality, that means death would not be real because you're just shifting forms of consciousness. And I realize that consciousness or that awareness is what God is. And that is the first of the major, I guess, opponents I would have to have had faced in my spiritual journey was essentially just materialism, atheism, and what the Gnostics call, like, death. Like, the energy of just death. Dumb matter. You know, the way I look at you sometimes, it's it's so funny because I, I see you like this spiritual, like, military dude, in a sense. Because, <laughs> like, the way you approach life is very much so like a... Um, a general or something, you know, and, and, yeah. and <laughs> it's, it's incredible because like, um, you are a conqueror, but it's not in the way of like war, you know, um, that we see it, you know, in the physical, this is like with spirituality and what is unseen. Yeah, I mean, I kind of thought of me fighting all of the um, negative forces as a form of conquest, like two armies fighting, me in the command, and leading for and going forward. Because one of the things that the, the Quakers kind of hammered in, and I still believe this, is just how kind of brutal the idea of war is. You know, and even spiritual war, it can be very intense 
like extremely intense that most people aren't even aware of that you know like when you're like locked in the basement with an evil demon literally um and you gotta like drive this thing out it's it's a and i mean like literally like i mean like in an actual house in an actual basement driving an actual spirit out i did that one time it's a powerful feeling you know it's a powerful feeling but I guess the idea of war as a horror field and not something to be glorified kind of stuck with me from the Quaker ideology as well. But what this journey kind of showed me is how that level of savagery is just another fabric of reality. And instead of wallowing in it, you got to like, I guess, transmute it. It's like pushing some energy from being bad over to more positive in your life. And that goes into the hermetic law of um, polarity and vibration of like the world is built around the number two, two poles, and you're vibrating between both. But you got to stick near the center and leaning slightly towards the pole that you favor Mm. in a sense. So it's, it's such a complicated idea. So I was in a way like this esoteric combat of fighting all these malicious entities from my past. And frankly, I think are also spreading to the general psyche of the American population as well. And just overcoming that as a form of my hero's journey. And frankly, going through multiple heroes journeys like that has been very eye opening to me. Yeah. You know, and I did take that idea in my own mind, but it's this weird – I'm at a crossroads where it's like I don't value that, but I, pro, I, I take confidence in my ability to face off evil in my own mind, the evil of the, in the unseen, the evil – actually not so much the unseen but the seen um, in spiritual it's – a, it's a lot. I too am at a crossroads right now. So, so let me ask yeah. you a question. What is evil to you? I remember when I had this uh, trance and I channeled this and it was saying um, good and evil don't really exist, but a fear of death does. And I thought about that more and more. Ooh, that's and. I, part of me actually really wondered because Hobbes kind of had this idea, Thomas Hobbes, that humanity at its core was savage, brutal, and violent. And the only thing that really keeps people in line was fear of death or promise of a greater life. So that's why there's people who aspire to do better. But then I kind of thought about it in the sense of looking, this is very recently, at nature. In the Because like you say, you look at a wild bear, for example. Bears and predatory animals have don't have a shred of empathy in their mindset. Like they like a papa bear will murder his own kids in a heartbeat and feel nothing. But a bear doesn't really have the power to really cause significant damage to anything in the grand scale of the world. You know, whereas with humans, we have the ability to love and we have the ability to hate. And actually the power of hate is something that often goes, I feel, ignored in a lot of these New Age spiritual circles because seeing how prevalent it actually is in American culture. But the idea of choosing life versus death, 
like in order for there to be life, there has to be death. For example, the predator also like weeds out the weak, weeds out the dying, and actually will help the lives of plants, which can grow and spread more life and more forest as well. But then you have like an herbivore, which is like terror to like a tree or some grass, but is essential for making sure the forest doesn't grow too big. And the biggest virtue to me more so was balance between the concepts of life and death and balance within the world. So to me, evil and morality are very useful social tools to keep people in line, which can be used, which I think more out of 10 times is for better, not for worse. But as abstract spiritual concepts, I don't view it like that. I view it as like the pole of life and death going at it and coiling around each other like the two serpents of kundalini you know and in order to master and have a good life one must master death you know you can't ignore the death you can't ignore the hate you can't ignore the evil you can't ignore the jealousy the rage the anger you have to go through it you know you have to learn from it because when you master that in yourself you can have a much better life, but you have to also focus on the vision, on the end result that this is life. Mm. You know, really? I mean, I, I agree with your idea that me being the, the spiritual general conqueror, you know, but, um, I guess I don't want to have a legacy of conquest. Got it. I love that. You know, you mentioned something very important and, you know, within living life and, it's we got a lot of different emotions and, and thoughts and, and it's what we do with them right it's also feeling them to our you know feeling through all of them like you had said if we ignore them they choose to just tend to come right back up until we actually deal with what the core of it is right and and that's interesting to me because, like, uh, it just kind of reminds me of, like, Harry Potter. Of course, I'm always going to go back to Harry Potter. <laughs> um, how he's talking, Harry Potter is talking to Sirius. And Sirius is like, yes, we all have, you know, dark and light in all of us, good and evil however we want to like look at it but it's how we make choices in life what we do with what is inside of us that really matters and you know you bring up a lot of themes in regards to that the whole time i was thinking in my head you know dark and light duality you know like um and then kind of going through this like little scene in my head of really the core of that and how eventually we all end up into this one being mm -hmm. and it's 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 kind of wild you know like because even when you said um the the bear bear's been coming up a lot this week ironically um mm. <laughs> there's a bear loose in our area um <laughs> that happened in jersey a few weeks a month ago actually Really? I think it was last summer. There was a black bear, and everyone was like scared shitless. But the funny thing is, is like black bears don't eat people, you know. Mm. <laughs> so everyone was like scared for nothing. Um, grizzly bears do. Grizzly yeah. bear will eat a person, but a black bear, no. 
But, like, you know, like, kind of with the bear, it, it also shows another aspect of the soul is, um, you know, our animalistic soul and how, like, um, like, for instance, if a, a bear were to, um, you know, like, eat its kid or something like that, you know, it's not necessarily, like, um, evil, right? Mm-hmm. But it's more so, it's its animalistic nature. But yes. with, with, um, with uh, humans, it's knowing the potential and, and also the boundaries within things. And though we can have it even thought about within our head, like, what actions do we take, you know? Yeah. It. that's mentally the biggest really divide between people and animals that we know of so far. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> like even like, go, like keep, what were you going to say? No, Cause I've been talking too much. Like going back to Harry Potter, I took the Pottermore test. I'm a Slytherin. You're a Gryffindor. <laughs> that's duality right there. Um, and not only that, but I think you had mentioned to me how the idea of a, what was it, a Gryffindor at his peak strength is like King Arthur. And like you said, a Slytherin at his peak strength was like Merlin. But it wasn't like seemingly opposed. They were actually kind of meant to complement each other and not oppose each other, which I find kind of interesting. It's uh, That's interesting take. I look at that. Um, same concept within, um, you know, astrology. We have, like, the Scorpio and the Taurus, for instance. Um, mm. A lot of people look at it from the perspective of opposing. I really don't look at it from that perspective. And that's, you know, it's okay to look at it from any perspective, you know. But I look at it from the perspective of they complement each other. Because if you look deeper into astrology... The anyone who was born with the sun sign of Scorpio will have the earth sign of Taurus. And anybody mm. with the sun sign of Taurus will have the earth sign of Scorpio. And that, to me right there, is a full balance. That's not opposing. That's complementing. <laughs> yeah. And Another thing is uh, Western culture generally is very competitive. Mm -hmm. um for no reason so that's why they have like instead of having it complement they're opposing each other that's just my theory right where do you think the core of that really started within western society um well well if you're actually looking at the fall of rome like the western roman empire europe was essentially in a constant state of warfare mm -hmm. with each other and that's actually one of the reasons why europe became such a military superpower later in the world but that competition also bred productivity and like if you actually look at some of the most comp um, competitive societies they tend to be incredibly productive in terms of like creating new inventions creating new ideas and so on so that's like i guess a malicious force used to generate life or like chaos being like the source of new birth and i think that mindset has generally continued on to this day like for example what feminists call hegemonic masculinity is actually very common in cultures, and I saw actually a professor point this out, that were the products of colonization. 
like you have like machismo and Hispanic culture and how they forget like all of Latin America was essentially colonized by Spain and Portugal or how like America and Canada were colonies of Britain. But you go to Europe today or even like parts of China today, which were like sovereign nations. And generally, though, they had wars and conquests like the Hitler World War Two or Napoleon. Generally, it wasn't as extreme as like, say, you know, the conquest of the Americas, you don't really have that hyper as hyper competitive of a mindset. Because one thing with the colonies is all the people like the religious fanatics in like Britain, for example, largely went to the Americas. And a lot of their hyper competitive like game hunters and sportsmen went to Africa because like, you know, hunting like elephants and lions was like a big deal in the 1800s. And they put all of the um, criminals were into Australia. So because it was this idea of adventure and going ahead on the frontier, you had that kind of emphasis on like strong bravery and competition, whereas in the people in Europe who generally were more, I guess, empathetic or more driven to the arts would have just stayed behind, mm. you know. So I think that's partially why we have that emphasis on competition. Right. And it, it, it goes by a lot deeper and more complicated than that. But that's where I actually think it comes from. Well, you know, I, I asked a question from that. Um, so that whole, you know, concept of like the Western really feels a lot associated with the divine masculine energy. Yes, um, very. And then, you know, like we're, we're coming into this new earth, you know, like how we want to shift and change things, right? What do you see as a balance of these divine masculine and divine feminine energies. Like, what does that look like? Where is that? Where does it feel good? Where's the balance, you know? Okay, so first we need to have a little brief discussion on different cultural views of time. If you look at the pagan world and actually like Native American cultures, time was viewed as a cycle. Like the Iroquois, they had like the four seasons and so on. And the Greco-Pagan world, time was a circle. But in the West and really around the Renaissance era, you had this idea that people can get better over time. And that is when time became uh, basically a line going upwards, kind of like a quote unquote, to quote um, Camille Paglia, a phallic peak, like the masculine energy rising and going ahead as opposed to like the feminine circle of eternity and getting trapped in eternity. But it's like both very uh, opposing forces mm. together. So the way I would view it, and truth be told, I had a transcendental experience where time isn't real, but I, that's, I'll get into that later in this conversation, I guess. But for sake of usefulness, this is kind of how I would view time as a very progressive scale. I remember um, one time at Eckerd, I was sea kayak. I was kayaking in a mangroves, and I was meditating there. And I hear this bird calling, another woo-woo hippie synchronicity coming up. And I can tell by the sound that this was clearly a bald eagle. I open my eyes. The eagle stops calling. He goes. He finds a hot air circle. He starts floating upwards in a spiral that gets smaller and smaller until he gets super, super high up. He changes his wings and he just dives ahead. So the thing with when you see like birds just floating in the air, they're not actually flying. What they do is they find a current of hot air because hot air rises 
and they ride and they literally float that current upward. But it's cool how he was going up in a giant spiral that got smaller and smaller and smaller, almost like a pyramid. But seemingly you have like this phallic motion of moving forward and moving ahead in life while simultaneously doing it at a very slow, steady pace with feminine cycles getting progressively smaller, but working in unison. So if there was a healthy way of time, it really, as basic as this is going to sound, is slow and steady wins the race. End of the day. That's powerful. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for that. Wow. Uh, You know, you, you, um, you bring a lot to, uh, the energy of the earth, like just even bringing in, you know, like signs of the universe through animals and, and what they actually are teaching us and also the science and the history behind everything. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's a very generalist knowledge, though. Like, I don't claim to be an expert on anything, really. Well, I will. So, yeah, always fact check everything I say. <laughs> I, will I will say, say you know a lot of information and like I remember I was playing a game with my mom and I was trying to we were going through the alpha oh animal that began with an I right <laughs> yes and I was like Impala <laughs> and I was like wait what and then I didn't even <laughs> think about it you know like yeah but you are just a wealth of of knowledge and wisdom you know like um how you take the knowledge in and and apply it is is remarkable you know, and thank you. Thanks, man. <laughs> um, are there anything else? Um, like, is there anything else you uh, want to specifically uh, touch on? Well, we talked about alchemy and we talked about transitioning in the world, the importance of balance. Um, wow, that was we actually covered a lot, you know, <laughs> and it feels like very, very, very brief time. Um, what do you want to talk about? Like, really, what is Okay, well, (laughs) I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something about time that this was a vision I had had a while ago. When I was, again, one of my astral wars with, like, conquering, I guess, another oppositional force that was in my own psyche, I clearly remember having a, um, experience where time wasn't real. I'm like, oh my god, time isn't real. And I couldn't comprehend that, but I just knew it wasn't real and it always stuck with me. And I wasn't really able to articulate what I meant by that until like essentially last summer where I had a deeper like gnosis into that type of vibration and that current of what many occultists would refer to as like the infinite or the all. And essentially it's the idea that time, space, and matter are all illusions. And so instead of time working like a linear line, it is essentially a sea of infinite possibilities. And by making choices in life and making your own decisions, it determines what path you go down. If basically think of like one of those choose your own adventure books that they had like in the eighties and so on, but infinite 
in big. Because I think when I started this conversation, I say, like, how differently would my time at Eckerd been if I never encountered you? How different would all this have been if we never met at GoPoly? That would have been a completely, like, if I chose, like, to sleep in that day, I would have been on a completely different current. Wow. You know, a completely different way of being. That, you know, different timeline. So instead of time being just this one thing, it's like an infinite sea of experience and circumstance. And simply because we are limitless by having the divine, which is all of us in us, we are also limited. And our being limited, it allows us to choose the path that we want to see. It's like, you know, it answers. It's like the question, if God is all powerful, would he be able to make a stone so big that he can't lift it? If the answer is yes, he's not all-powerful. If the answer is no, he is paradoxically not all-powerful. But that kind of shows you how in order to be everything, you are paradoxically nothing. So like, since we have like the spark of divinity within us, of all potential experiences, we also have limited experience, limited knowledge. So we essentially get to choose what types of experiences you have and like a rudimentary idea in spell casting in magic is you're not actually changing the world outside of you you're actually changing your own internal experience with the world outside of you and as you change that experience through the divine it will naturally manifest into your own life so like say for example i want to um I don't know, cast a spell to get a million dollars. I'm making that up. It's not going to just come and drop on my lap, and it's not going to expect to me outside. I have to make a bunch of shifts internally based on how I view the world and how I view myself and how I live my lifestyle Then before that can generate within my own life. And just working with the divine to find that and moving through and alongside resistance to find that is how you build character and strength. And that's another aspect of the hero's journey. Like every time you're casting a spell, it is an heroic act. It is the act of going through the hero's journey to change your own mindset and to change your own personal experience of life. Mm, That's powerful because like within that, the power of thought, thought, you know, like how you said, I'm good. You know, like if I did a spell, um, you know, to get a million dollars, you know, Mm -hmm. you actually have to be able to open your being up to allow that amount of energy in and be able to hold the container for it. Yes. And it's interesting because this whole um, session ended up happening the way it did um, because, you know, like there was schedule shifts today. And Mm -hmm. I started looking at it from a, a different perspective. I was like, okay, well... I, I could just cancel my time at the studio. And I said, no, I got a very large no. You're meant to be in the studio. Maybe you don't know what's going to happen yet. But if you're in the studio, that will allow for all the possibilities and potential. And lo and behold, about 10 minutes later, I after I made that conscious decision within myself to to 
continue my day and do exactly, you know, what I was guided to do, I get a, uh, you know, a phone call from you saying, hey, you ready to do that podcast? And I said, yes, I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, even I, even I was um, a bit like iffy about it because I was a bit stressed out from work. But then something was like, okay, look, it's an evening shift. The night manager is pretty cool at my current job. Um, you should just do it and see how it goes. And like within a week's time, you're going to be free. Hmm. Wow. Like, whew, you know, <sighs> just want to take a pause for a moment. Just like allow all this energy to integrate. Yeah, man. Yeah, this was some big hard hitters. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, uh, wow, dude, um, our, uh, <laughs> looking at it from this perspective, our time is, um, coming to a full circle on this one. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. man, like, it, you are always welcome on, um, Energy Speaks podcast. Is there anything, um, um, uh, you want to say for, you know, last words or anything? Um, for anyone listening, if they want the best spiritual advice, take time to know yourself. Mm. Like knowledge of self is a gift. Know who you are, know who you, what you, how you operate as a person. Knowledge is not a one size fits all shoe. What may be true for me is going to be completely false for you. Um, be the God you wish to see in the world. Wow. That's powerful. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. I love And power, times. also great power and great freedom comes great responsibility, to quote Uncle Ben from Spider-Man. Spider but that's so true. <laughs> I love Spider-Man. But that is so true. It is. Like, no truer words have ever been spoken. Stanley, you are a genius. Rest in peace. R.I.P. <laughs> ah, well, thank you, Mitch, for coming on here. And um, thank you, listeners. Um, I am just, just so honored to be able to hold this space in this container um, for Energy Speaks podcasts. Thank you all, divine, beautiful souls. Um, this is Katriel, uh, your host, signing off.